This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, June 21st, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour to help you become a better investor. I'm going to give you a lot of data and perspective of over 20 plus years of investment experience. And of course, going to blend today's comments with what you, the listener, provide to me, us, which is questions, topics that you select. And that means you set the table and your participation is vital to this program. So here in Invest Talk, we do not pre-screen our live calls. We, instead, we take what you throw at us live in real time. And we're committed to give you the best answer that we can with that perspective and that data that we, that we've had, that we have. So no agenda, just here to help you make, help you take that next step in your path towards financial freedom. And I encourage you to do a few things, try to weed out the natural inclination to use emotions, fear and greed, and focus on the data that's in front of you, not the narrative, but the data. Don't chase headlines. Don't be tempted to chase returns. A lot of these bad habits are, uh, almost all of these bad habits are counterproductive. And the quicker that you can get a handle on those counterproductive bad habits, the quicker you will achieve that financial freedom. So I'm taking your questions right now at 888 chart The Invest Talk phone lines never close. So don't hesitate to call right now. Now, my focus point today looks into this question. Has the Fed destroyed the U.S. banking system by making it essentially insolvent? You might have heard that a few times. So we're going to look at this. I like this because it's particularly highlighting a, partic- a person, uh, a personality that you've almost certainly have seen in media in some way, shape, or form. And I think this is the perfect type of person to highlight, not for the good, but really for the bad. And it's a, it, it's, I love it. So we're going to get into what he is saying and what lessons you can take. Okay. Also, we're going to touch on ma- factories, manufacturing facilities being built. What are the trends within the United States? Also, a now that we're past the debt ceiling, a common worry, which I actually talked about earlier this year, was that when the Fed replenishes their Treasury General account by buying more money, that's going to pull liquidity out of the market, and that could be a problem. But per usual, it's not straightforward. There are the, the investment world, the financial system, it's a complicated beast. So we're going to look at a counterbalance to that potential 
liquidity drain that may prevent liquidity from drying up too dramatically. And we're going to get a quick update since the end of the debt ceiling on those numbers. And then lastly, China. They are increasing their oil import quota. So what does that mean for the oil industry? So we're going to look at that. So that's what's on the docket for me. But ultimately, most importantly, it's what's on the docket for you that matters. So I'm ready to take your calls now at 888 chart now Let's take a first look at the market today. It was a modest down day. You had the S&P that was down 23 points, about half a percent. Uh, what was interesting is we rallied most of the day and then the last, what was that? 30 minutes, 40 minutes or so, we rolled over, closed near the lows of the day. That's uh, a bit worrisome on, on that front. Uh, the small caps definitely outperformed. So, so far this year, large caps have outperformed the small caps. But you're starting to see that trend really peter out here. That momentum peter out really since, what, day before yesterday? So Monday? I'm just looking at a short-term chart. And I think you're going to start to see those small caps reassert themselves to the upside as well as the value side of the market reassert itself to the upside. And that's really what I'm seeing near, near term is that big counter trend rally of growth over value that's stalled over the past three weeks and looks very ready to roll back over. And does that mean the market in general rolls back over? You know, not necessarily, uh, but that trend of money back into AI, right? Uh, and that's a good indicator where there was so much fervor on that one industry that everyone jumped in. Usually when that hits the headlines, that's the time you fade that particular trade. And that's starting to happen right now uh, in spades. Now let's pivot over to our first voicemail voice question at 888-99-CHART. Good afternoon, Justin and Steve. This is Steve from Denver. And I'm interested in investing in copper, and I've been looking at symbols FCX and SCCO. I prefer SCCO. It pays a higher dividend. Fundamentals look a little stronger to me, but I just wanted to check and, and see what your opinions were. Thank you. All right, looking at SCCO, Southern Copper Corp, and FCX, Freeport McMoran. And we agree with you. We've owned Southern Copper for uh, a long time, I believe since 2020. Uh, it's been a while. So we, we like it, not because of the dividend. I know you say, oh, they pay a higher dividend. That's not why. It's that second part, which you said, which is better fundamentals. Return equity is, over the last five years, about 27%. Right now, it's about 33 and change. It's very, very strong. And their cash flow is strong. Their, uh, their balance sheets is very clean. Only about $4 billion in net debt on its balance sheet with a $56 billion market cap. So, you know, low risk entity, good, strong cash flow. And, you know, we like copper for the green elements uh, of it and the fact that we're going to need more and more of it. And there's it's not easy to add new copper production. So if you have an ex existing supply, you're going to, to do fairly well. And, uh, you know, Southern Copper... From a jurisdictional standpoint, there is uh, maybe slightly more risk than, than Freeport, but historically, uh, Freeport uh, or Southern Copper is just has just outperformed uh, both on uh, 
a fundamental basis and the stock price. So if I'm picking one or the other, I'm definitely going with Southern Copper. For comparison right now, Southern Freeport McMoran, 17% year return equity. So Southern Copper nearly double the profitability uh, currently and historically still profitable, 19% return equity, but once again, lower than where Southern Copper typically operates. So that's why we own Southern Copper over FCX. Now we're going into a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank, or if you're listening via the live stream on AM 1220 in the Bay Area, you can call right now at 888 chart KPP Financial invites you to join us for a new Invest Talk Wealth Webinar Rates and Real Estate. You'll gain valuable investing insights for the commercial and residential real estate markets of 2023. We will also explore the world of REITs and delve into a comprehensive analysis of the Deferred Sales Trust, a real estate tax deferral strategy. The Invest Talk Wealth Webinar will take place on Wednesday, June 28th from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. And it will be led by InvestTalk host, Justin Klein, along with KPP Financial Portfolio Manager, Luke Guerrero. This complimentary webinar is your opportunity to learn from top finance experts in the industry. So go to investtalk.com, register for this free wealth webinar, rates and real estate. The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve or Justin. This is Nick from Manhattan Beach calling in to ask about Zoetis, ZTS. It's an animal, livestock, and pet vaccine manufacturer, distributor. It's got a very strong market share in the industry. It's grown sales around 8 to 10% yearly, past five years, earnings per share or more so. Analysts, stocks trade forward looking usually, but um, I see a little bit of discrepancy here. Analysts think that Zoetis will make about $6.10 a share next year, 2024. It's typically traded around a 30 to 40 times multiple. It's at 38 right now. If we ascribe, let's say, a 35 multiple to $6.10 next year's earnings, the stock should be around $214, $215. It's currently around 170 right now. I think it's a little bit undervalued as a result. I want to know what you thought and if you think my analysis is correct on this. Thanks and have a good one. Bye. Well, the first thing you have to understand is that 35 times earnings is about double the average of the market, right? The market average PE tends to be in the high teens, tends where it kind of hangs out. So 35 is, is pretty high and it needs consistent, strong, high growth in order to justify that. And, and, and that's basically what it's saying is that this 
the growth rate is going to be basically double the market growth going forward for the next decade plus. Okay, so let's see if that checks out. Well, if you look last quarter, revenues were up 1%, earnings were down 1%. Quarter before that, for that, revenues were up 4%, earnings were up 15%. Quarter before that, earnings or sales were up 1%, earnings were down 3% year over year. Quarter before that, earning, revenue up 5%, earnings up 1% year over year. So over the last year, it's been a very slow growth business. Very slow growth. And if you look at other multiples, price of sales at about 10 times, enterprise value even at 25 times, you're talking about a forward-looking, you know, pretty, like you said, in the 30 to, to 40 range that it tends to, to trade in. But that's when it was growing pretty significantly. And that's my worry here is that revenue growth is slowing dramatically. It's tailing off. And if this suddenly kind of has hit its peak in, maybe in uh, market share and now is no longer growing at 25 30% per year, is the 35 multiple appropriate? Absolutely not. So what's going to spark it back to that 20 plus percent growth rate? Now, if we can get back there, then yeah, it's probably worth 35 times. If it can grow 20% annually, absolutely. That's more than double the market growth rate, typically of earnings. But I'm not seeing that now. And if you look at the chart, It's starting to roll back over. You've had that kind of trend rallying the growth names, and now it's back below the 50-day and the 100-day moving average. So the technicals are eh, still trading at a high multiple, and I'm seeing no reason why it's, uh, it should be trading at 35 times. I think this is more of a low 20s multiple business. And if that's the case, $6, you know, it's probably modestly overvalued. So that's my read on it. So that's why I'd pass on it. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk review on iTunes, I'd like to thank them by getting to their question quickly. Mr. Purple Adam says, I was wondering if you could give your thoughts on CWCO, Consolidated Water. Uh, let's see, CWCO. They seem to have made seawater desalination into a profitable operation. What do you think of the growth potential of this current small market? I bought a small position around $15 per share, and it's recently run up to 20 Now it's at 24 Ooh, I, I want to understand, ooh, is this something to do with maybe the Inflation Reduction Act? I don't see any reason why this should be trading at 40 times. Or, let's see, four, next year's earnings is supposed to be 86 cents, 30 times, forward-looking earnings for a utility company that's usually too rich. Now, is there something in regards to, like I said, that maybe the Inflation Reduction Act, what's causing them this stock to, to move up so dramatically. Typically, this is not something you want to chase. Okay, so I'm passing on consolidated water unless I have a very, very good reason why this is uh, sustainable. Now we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance investment questions right now on Invest Talk at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Let's talk about Peter Schiff, and he is the focus of our focus point today. And he recently made some headlines, uh, per usual. Media loves to, to put him on because he's pretty bombastic and he makes some grandiose statements and always creates those headlines that people pay attention to. And, and most media outlets, that's what their goal is, is to get attention. And I believe he was on CNBC recently and basically said that the Fed is destroying the U.S. banking system. It's insolvent and would collapse without government backstops. And, you know, this is a big statement. He said back in March, he tweeted out the U.S. banking system is on the verge of a much bigger collapse than 08. Banks own long-term paper at extremely low interest rates. They can't compete with short-term treasuries. Mass withdrawals from depositors seeking high yields will result in a wave of bank failures. So he tweeted. And I love this because it just highlights somebody who's just really a, a product of our environment. You know, just think of our political system. You know, if you have a belief that, you know, is traditionally on the right, you know, one belief about one particular topic you're automatically painted as somebody on the right, right? A Republican, maybe. And vice versa, if you have a more liberal view on a particular topic, suddenly you are automatically painted as a liberal, as a Democrat. There's no room for the middle. And those that speak the loudest and have the most... As they have the craziest things to say and are hard right or hard left, there's, they're the ones that get the attention. The middle doesn't get the attention. Because the media doesn't have time for nuance. Doesn't have time for complexity. They want headlines. And they're going to give the attention to those statements that garner the most attention. And Peter Schiff is kind of like that, right? He's an extreme perma bear and gold bug. And I think it's important to highlight this because if you get too married to one point of view, then sometimes you're going to be right and sometimes you're going to be wrong. And it's going to be based on the wind, how the wind blows. That's it. But a broken clock is right twice a day. So if you stay on one particular view without taking into account the complexities of the situation, the data points that are constantly coming in, you're not going to be very right very often. Twice a day, maybe, right? Or in this case, maybe twice a year, twice a decade. That's about it. 
And the reason I, I love this is because, you know, he talks about some things that I think are correct. Oftentimes, I, I think gold, gold allocation is good in this environment where government's over indebted. And he talks about that. Uh, and but, he you know, he says that the dollar is going to collapse because of it. I've been hearing this for a long time. But they don't understand the complexities of the euro dollar system and the consistent demand that that brings to the dollar and the fact that. That's unlikely, you know, a, a, an overnight dollar collapse is very unlikely. Very, 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 very unlikely because of those dynamics, the demand for dollars. Now, can this play out over decades? Sure. But global financial systems don't unravel overnight. They don't change overnight. They change gradually. And he says things like there are moral hazards about bailing uh, bailing out the banking system. And you saw that in no way. And I think that's certainly true. So there's hints of that. That's one of the problems here. And this happens in the political environment as well, where, you know, there's hints of truth, but then they go overboard and they don't balance out the other side of those uh, truths that, that really bring complexity and, and uh, nuance to the, the argument. And so that's why I encourage you to, when you listen to people, are they giving both sides of the argument? Are they saying, yeah, it's likely to be this way, but if this happens, it could go the other way. I, I love this. I love the, the term. I, I forgot where I heard it, but it was strong opinions loosely held. I believe this because of this set of data points, but I'm very open to changing my mind if new data is presented to me. And I think that's important in every walk of life, whether it's your investment world, in the political world, right? If a politician says X, Y, and Z, and then they go into office and they don't do X, Y, and Z, well, you had a strong opinion. You liked that politician, but they didn't do that in office. And that's new data that maybe informs you about maybe that's not who you thought they were. Same thing with a stock. You buy a stock, new data comes out, their earnings aren't as good. That's maybe not the company you thought it was. Okay, so the moral here is strong opinions, loosely held. Be able to change your mind. And don't be a bull or bear like Peter Schiff. Now, the next invest stock. Oh, I guess we're heading to a break. I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive 
at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. KPP Financial invites you to join us for a new Invest Talk Wealth Webinar, Rates and Real Estate, June 28th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. You'll gain valuable investing insights for the commercial and residential real estate markets of 2023. So go to investtalk.com, register for this free wealth webinar. Hey, Stephen, Justin, I hope you guys are both well. Thank you guys for all you do with the podcast. I really appreciate it. I had a question on Carnival Corp, ticker symbol CCL. That's Charlie, Charlie, Larry. I had bought a small position of this stock early on back in 2021, where I read in their financials that they had a record number of deposits in a single day, as well as a record in, I believe, within that time period for 2022. So I took that as an impression that sales or, or revenue was going to boost during 2022. And it, it actually took a very long time to, to finally meet the price of which I bought it at, which was at uh, $15.20. I'm looking for an exit point. I would like to make a, a decent amount of uh, return, seeing that I've held it, held on to it for about like over a year and a half now. So you can just let me know what you guys think would be the best exit point for this. Thank you. Well, I, I wonder why you're trying to exit it just because you're back to even. You know, this happens a lot where you're down, you initially buy it, you're down, and oh gosh, I, I shouldn't have bought it. I'm down 20, 30%. My thesis didn't play out, so I'm just going to hold it, wait back to even, and then I'm back to even. You wait long enough, uh, and suddenly you're back, and now you want to sell it. Well, doesn't mean it's a, a bad stock to own. You just bought a little early. Obviously, Carnival Cruise had a tough few years, and it's coming out of that. So it's to earn their 82 cents next year. Now, if they go back to earning $4.40 like in 2019, then that's certainly going to be a, 
it's, it's cheap, right? Trading at 18 and change or 15 and change now. Now, the problem with that, though, is that their number of shares outstanding has gone up dramatically. It's basically doubled since then. So getting back to $4 probably will be difficult, maybe two. And even at two, that's suddenly a single-digit P ratio. So the technicals are into resistance, I will say that. But I don't see a reason why you want to get rid of it. The momentum's now up. It's above all the major moving averages. And I think there could be more upside. Like I said, I do think it, it is into resistance. It, it could consolidate here in the 15, 16 range for a little while. But I actually think it's probably going to head at least to 20 bucks. It's a 15 and change now. So if you're looking for real resistance, it's, it's around that $20 level. But... You know, it's a, it's a, it's a solid business long term. Is there going to be another pandemic? Maybe, you know, that's going to kill the, kill the company again. Um, but I'm okay with it, holding it for the near term. I see no reason to, to jump out of it now. But once again, 15 is that next major resistance level. Now, the next and best stock, the story behind this question. How do alternative investments fit into a diversified portfolio? Alternative strategies offer something fundamentally different from mainstream asset classes, Morningstar defines these strategies based on their ability to modify, diversify, or eliminate traditional market risks. So we're going to look at that story tomorrow. But for now, let's turn over to our next discussion point, which is about factory building in the United States. According to the Census Bureau, construction spending by U.S. manufacturers more than doubled over the past year. In April of this year, annual rate reached nearly $190 billion compared to $90 billion in June of last year. That's construction spending. Manufacturing accounted for about 13% of that non-government construction spending. And this is a strong indication that manufacturers are bringing, they're, they're, they're reshoring their supply chains. Currently, China still makes up 30% of global value added from manufacturing. That's about double what we do here in the U.S. But what you're seeing is that there are battery and electric vehicle factories popping up all along the Rust Belt. Solar panel and renewable energy factories in the south and southeast. And the U.S. has added more than 800,000 manufacturing jobs over the past two years. And according to Kearney's 2022 reshoring index, 96% of American companies have shifted production to the U.S. or evaluating reshoring operations. That's up from 78% in 2021. And you can really attribute this to, obviously, the, the pandemic and, and uh, building resiliency in supply chains, but also government help, government Carrots, shall we say, you know, this carrot and the stick approach. Oftentimes tariffs are the stick, right? Forcing companies, not forcing, but making it a lot more expensive to manufacture overseas. Well, the CHIPS Act passed in July of last year, the Inflation Reduction Act passed in August. Uh, that provides over $280 billion in funding to boost manufacturing semiconductors. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act is 
pushing or creating new jobs in manufacturing, construction, renewable energy, and it's supposed to create about 1.5 million jobs by 2030. And construction spending is uh, in in most areas of the U.S. have fallen in areas like office, healthcare, and education. And so you've had that headwind with those major sectors. We've talked about office a lot. And that means that it's even more impressive that our manufacturing uh, construction spending is so high. Manufacturing construction spending has escalated from January 2020 until April 2023 in every region except New England and the Mid-Atlantic. And even some Chinese companies are taking their supply chains out of China and building in other countries. Some here in the U.S., also India, Vietnam, Thailand, etc. So very interesting data that you're seeing out of the manufacturing sector. And it just continues to support the belief that we've said for a few years now, really since the end of 2020, early 2021, saying, hey, this pandemic has changed a lot of things. And reshoring or friend-shoring manufacturing is a big part of that. Now, that also means persistent inflation. But, you know, it's something that uh, you have to get used to. Uh, and ultimately, we'll make our economy stronger and, uh, I think, uh, more resilient. Now, let's keep thing mo- things moving and head over to our voice bank at 888 chart Hey, Steve and Justin. John here from Lakeland, Florida. I have a handful of stocks from 2021 that at this point I've lost all optimism for them to incline, to incline back to at least where I bought them. And this is before I discovered the stop loss option. Anyways, my question is that, is it better to take a loss and sell the stock before it goes to zero? Or is it better to allow the stock to go to zero? Or does it really matter either way? Just trying to figure out the best way to recoup as much of my losses on these stocks as possible. I hope it made some sense here. Look forward to hearing your insight. Appreciate you guys. Well, this is is pretty simple. This is this is a very common habit of new investors. Is you're down and you just hold, hoping and praying. And and I, I say two things: hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. Just because it's down doesn't mean it has to come back. The the Remember this, the majority of public companies that have been public, listed on the NYSE, listed on uh, major exchanges, they're gone. The majority of them are gone because their business fails. And doesn't mean, you know, you're not immune to that, being, uh, being, buying companies that fail, that you're wrong about. It's natural to be wrong. No one is going to be right 100% of the time. Nobody, even the best investors in the world. So understand that. Is it better to wait for it to go to zero? Absolutely not. And it's worth nothing. At least it's worth something today. And the sec- so the second part is opportunity costs. You have to be... You have to be... Let's say greedy with your capital. Understand that your opportunity cost is always, do I own this, continue to own this today, or do I put it in something else that 
will likely do better going forward. It's not about what happened in the past. That's a, what do we call a sunk cost. You've lost that. Is this asset still the best use of that capital? Or should you sell it and buy something else? And when you're down that much, it means you're wrong. And you have to admit you're wrong and you move on and you buy something else. So absolutely, you sell it, you move on. As long as you can admit you're wrong and you, you realize that, hey, I, I thought it was in this way. And I, mean, I thought that their business was going to do better. Or uh, I thought their innovation was going to hit in a bigger way. Whatever it is, you were probably wrong. Or maybe you bought it too expensive and it's probably should never been there and maybe we'll never get there again. I think of um, Zoom. Zoom's a great example. Zoom, everyone got caught up in the hype. I I think of NVIDIA like that today. Uh, You know, the hype of work from home and everyone's going to be on Zoom and people didn't realize that, you know, video conference software is not exactly innovative and there's a lot of them out there and they're all pretty much do the same thing. And Zoom peaked at nearly $600 per share, and now it's at $66 per share. All those people that bought it, it, you know, hundreds of dollars per share, they were wrong. They were wrong at the price that they paid. Zoom's still a fine company. Uh, I believe it's profitable. Is it? Yeah, it's profitable. But was it ever worth five, dollars $600? No. So sometimes you get caught up in the hype and that's something common for new investors. Okay. So sell it and move on. There's a quick reminder. KPP Financial invites you to make plans to join us for a new Invest Talk Wealth webinar, Rates in Real Estate, next week. You will gain valuable investing insights for the commercial and residential real estate markets of 2023. Topics covered will include the world of REITs as well as deferred sales trusts which will be an interesting way to say you have real estate that maybe you don't want to be a landlord anymore and find other ways to invest it. More mailbox money, or I won't say mailbox money, more passive income and deferring the capital gains you might have on. So we're going to look at that. It's the Invest Talk Wealth webinar, Rates in Real Estate, will, place, will take place on Wednesday, June 28th, the week from today from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific time. Just go to investtalk.com and register for this free wealth webinar, Rates in Real Estate, once again, on June 28th. Now let's pivot over to liquidity and the post-debt ceiling world. And I talked about this early in the year about, okay, once we get past the debt ceiling, let's back up. So there's what is called the Treasury General Account. It's basically the bank or the, the checking account of the, the Treasury, and they use it to pay bills. And when the government borrows money, it deposits into the checking account, just like if you were to borrow cash. You, che- you deposit in your checking account and then go pay bills out of it. Well, when you hit the debt ceiling, there's no more borrowing, and basically government spent money. Put liquidity out in the market. That's what that does. Well, the worry is that once they refill the coffers, they're going to pull that liquidity out of the market. And in some ways, that's true, something I was talking about. But once again, there's complexity here. And the complexity here is what is called the reverse repo. And I don't want to bore you with the details, but basically, this is a place for uh, money market accounts 
you know, a lot of people have taken their money out of savings accounts, checking accounts, et cetera, right? Realize that they can earn four or 5% in a money market account. And that's put a record amount into the money market uh, accounts, $5.5 trillion in assets. Okay. And they go and invest it. And a lot of times they buy treasuries, but they're buying short-term instruments. And one thing that the Fed launched was called uh, this reverse repo facility that allowed these money market funds to invest with the Fed basically and earn similar rates that they are going to get on treasuries. And for a while, the, the rates there were better than treasuries. And a lot of it had to do with you know, uh, people worried about the banking crisis and flooding money into uh, these, these uh, in, in, in treasuries. And so the reverse repo was over $2 trillion at the end of last year, sorry, uh, 2.5 trillion. Now it's down to about uh, under 2 trillion again. And this is a place where that liquidity could come from. Meaning when the reason why the, there's a worry that uh, liquidity could dry up if the government goes and borrows a bunch of money now, which that's what they're doing. They're, they're borrowing, you know, $100 billion a week or so. Uh, and the worry is that that $100 billion is gonna come from the real economy the liquidity is going to dry up. There's less lending, less spending out in the economy, and suddenly that's a problem for markets and, and the broader economy. But this reverse repo is a place where these money market accounts are putting cash, and that's not out in the real economy. It's not doing anything. And so if that moves from the reverse repo over to these new treasuries that are being issued, net-net, that doesn't change liquidity. It doesn't make liquidity worse. And what you're seeing right now is that that's actually what's happening is now that treasury rates are going up a little bit and above the reverse repo, they're, they're close to five and a quarter or repo is 5.05. So it makes more sense for these money market accounts to go buy these new treasuries that are being issued. And that is why the, con the, the stock market continues to hold up pretty well is because this lending so far is not pulling liquidity out of the system. So I wanted to give you an update on that, something to continue to watch, but so far, so good. Now we're heading into our final break, ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen, Justin, John from New York. I have a question regarding, I guess, stock valuation between Netflix and Google. Netflix uh, pays $200 million per movie, basically. And you got Google, who owns YouTube, which is only part of their business, that is generating free content. Total visits in like the last three months for YouTube is about 33 billion, whereas Netflix is 1.4 billion. Pages visited is about 11.5 on YouTube, where it's four for Netflix. It just seems like the valuation is is a little off, and Google should be a lot more again because they're not generating or they're not spending any money on their content for YouTube, and that's only a part of their business and they get ad revenue and all that. So I'm just a little confused on why Netflix would be a $400 stock where Google would only be about 122, I believe around 
looking forward to uh, hearing uh, your answer on the podcast. Thank you so much. Well, the first mistake you're making here is you're saying uh, the Netflix stock being 424 versus Google being at 120. That's never look at a stock that way. Google isn't cheaper isn't cheaper because it's 120 and Netflix more expensive because it's 400. It's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. It's all based on, you know, their market cap. And Google's market cap is 1.5 trillion whereas Netflix is let's see. Where are we? 188 billion. So Google is valued in the market nearly 10 times as much as Google. Okay. Sorry, Google is valued nearly 10 times more than Netflix. And then you have to look at it in relation to earnings. So what is that market cap enterprise value compared to cash flow, earnings, etc.? And frankly, they're trading at, let's see, enterprise value to EBITDA on Netflix is about 10 times, about 17 times. So frankly, it's... Google's trading at a higher multiple to uh, EBITDA, but to earnings, it's trading at a lower multiple. So there's some complexities here. And you're really comparing apples to oranges, right? You're, you're comparing Netflix, which is a subscription business that is not really that cyclical, to Google, which is a, an advertising business that has multiple aspects to what they do, right? They're pay-per-click advertising, banner advertising, Obviously, YouTube, like you said, and many more. They have a lot of revenue drivers, a lot more diverse than, than Netflix. And Netflix, historically, their cash flow is not that great. Because like you said, they pay a lot for their content. Google's free cash flow is $62 billion. Netflix is... I'm just running back and forth between these two. There's only three billion. And a lot of times it's negative. It's it's really driven a lot by whether they're spending money on content or not. You know, both are fine companies, uh, but I'm owning I would rather own Google. Not because it's cheaper, because it's trading at 120 versus 400. That's not a way to look at this ever, 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 ever. You never look at a company that way. There are more companies that are expensive trading under $5 per share than, are tra- than that are trading over $100 per share. Remember that. I repeat that. There are more companies that are expensive that are trading for under $5 per share than, than those that are trading over $100 per share. So what that dollar amount on the screen says, how much each particular share is trading hands for is irrelevant. It's only relevant in how it, that relates to cash flow per share, earnings per share, balance sheets, etc. But going back to your original question, I do think Google is a better buy than Netflix right now. Not to say I would buy either. Now I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. And it's official. We have now surpassed the 53.3 million podcast download mark since it all began. 
All thanks to you. And mark your calendars one week from today. We will be presenting the new wealth webinar, Rates in Real Estate, and you can register right now over on investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.